14. E strongest fortified inland city in the world, indeed it is almost as strong, if not quite so, as Gibraltar or the Dardanelles, but from the way the Americans hammered at it, military authorities say that only the signing of the armistice prevented the taking of it by assault, as it was, the close of fighting saw Negro troops on German soil, the fortitude and valor of the Negroes, especially in the action against Metz, won them high praise from their commanding officers. Entire units were decorated by the French with the Croix de Guerre. Fourteen Negro officers and 43 enlisted men were cited for bravery in action and awarded the Distinguished Service Cross by General Pershing. This is a splendid showing considering that up to November 10, 1918, the greater portion of the division had to content itself with making daily and nightly raids on the German front-line trenches to harass the foe and capture prisoners. This, however, required daring and courage and, in some ways, was more trying and dangerous than being in a big engagement. A total of 57 citations by the American military authorities, besides honors bestowed by the French, is a splendid showing for a division which won most of its honors during its first great baptism of fire. The casualties of the 92nd Division amounted to an aggregate of 1.511 of all kinds. Six officers were killed in action and one died from wounds. Among the non-commissioned officers and privates 103 were killed in action, 50 died from wounds, 47 were missing in action and 5 were taken prisoner, 40 enlisted men died from disease, 16 officers and 543 enlisted men were wounded, 39 officers and 661 enlisted men were gassed. The number of gassed was unusually large, a reason being, perhaps, that the men in the front-line trenches were exceptionally daring in making raids into the enemy's territory. One of the main reliances of the Germans against these raids was poison gas, a plentiful supply of which they kept on hand at all times, and which they could utilize quickly and with great facility. The small number in this division who were taken prisoner by the enemy verifies the assertion made before that the Negro would sacrifice his life or submit to deadly wounds rather than be captured when only 5 out of a total of about 30.000 fell into the Germans' hands alive. It gives some idea of the desperate resistance they put up. Perhaps the stories they had heard about the wanton slaughter of prisoners by the Hun or the brutalities practiced on those who were permitted to live, had something to do with the attitude of the Negroes against being captured, but a more likely solution is that their very spirit to advance and win and to accept death in preference to being conquered, caused the small number in the prisoner list and the large number in the lists of other casualties. Considering the desperate advance made by the 92nd Division from pont on the morning of November 10th, through a valley swept by the tremendous guns of Metz and thousands of machine guns, the casualty list really is slight. Advancing over such dangerous ground to gain their objective, it appears miraculous that the division was not wiped out, or at least did not suffer more heavily than it did. An explanation of the seeming miracle has been offered in the rapidity of the advance. No two battles are ever thought alike. Offensives and defensives will be planned along certain lines. Then will suddenly obtrude the element of surprise or something that could not be foreseen or guarded against, which will overturn the most carefully prepared plans. No soldiers in the world were ever trained to a higher degree of efficiency than the Germans. Mathematical precision ruled everywhere, the ultimate detail had been considered and all students of military matters were forced to admit that they had reduced warfare seemingly, to an exact science, but it was a mistake. The Germans were the victims of surprise times innumerable, some of the greatest events of the war, notably the first defeat at the Marne and its strategic features, 
was a complete surprise to them. Everything about war, can, it seems, be reduced to a science except strategy. Certain rules can be laid down governing strategy, but they do not always work. Generally speaking, it is psychology, something which exists in the other man's mind. To read the other man's mind or make a good guess at it, defeats the most scientifically conceived strategy. Napoleon outwitted the best military brains and was himself the greatest strategist of his time, because he invariably departed from fixed military customs and kept his opponent entirely at sea regarding what he was doing or intended to do. Very seldom did he do the thing which his enemy thought he would do, which seemed most likely and proper according to military science. He thought and acted quickly in crises, relied constantly on the element of surprise and invented new strategy on the spur of the moment. It was the big new strategy, the big new surprises, with which the Germans found themselves unable to cope. The strategy of Fulch which developed in the offensive shortly after the Battle of Chateau 3 in July and was well underway in the early part of August, was a surprise to the Germans. Pershing surprised them in his St. Michiel and following operations, especially the battles of Argonne Forest, and had a greater surprise in store for them in the Lorraine campaign had the war continued. Perhaps the Germans figured at Metz that owing to the extreme difficulty of the ground to be covered, their strong fortifications and great gun power, any advance, especially of Negro troops, would be slow. They accordingly timed their artillery action and their defensive measures for a slow assault, but they were surprised again. Officers could not hold back the Negro fighters and German guns and soldiers could not stop them. They plunged onto Prinny and Pugney, and they rushed into the boys' free hut, and held for 36 hours this place from which picked Moroccan and Senegalese troops were forced to a retreat in ten minutes after they had entered it. The boys' free hut was an inferno under the murderous fire of the Germans, holding it for 36 hours and remaining there until hostilities ceased. It is surprising that the casualty list of the 92nd Division did not amount to many times 1.511. It is not intended to convey the impression that the Negroes were entirely responsible for the victory before Metz. Many thousands of white troops participated and fought just as valiantly, but this history concerns itself with the operations of Negro soldiers and with bringing out as many of the details of those operations as the records at this time will supply. Chapter XXI The Long, Long Trail Operations of 368th Infantry Negroes from Pennsylvania, Maryland and South in Argonne held defeat Iron Cross veterans valiant personal exploits Lieutenant R.O.B.R.D. Campbell Private John Baker operations of 367th Infantry, Mosses Buffaloes, 365th and 366th Regiments The Great Divide Their Souls Are Marching On Praised by Pershing Some Citations When the History of the 92nd Division Is Written in Detail Much prominence will necessarily be given to the operations of the 368th Infantry. This unit was composed of Negroes mostly from Pennsylvania, Maryland and the southern states. They went abroad happy, light-heart boys to whom any enterprise outside of their regular routine was an adventure. They received adventure plenty, enough to last most of them for their natural lives. They returned matured, grim-visaged men who had formed a companionship and a comradeship with death. For months they were accustomed to look daily down the long, long trail leading to the Great Divide. They left behind many who traveled the trail and went over the divide. Peril was their constant attendant. Danger so familiar that they greeted it with a smile. It has been noted that this unit of the division saw real service prior to the campaign leading from Pont Mousson to Metz. Their first action was in August in the Vosges sector. This was largely day and night raiding from front-line trenches. 
A month later they were in that bit of hell known as the Argonne Forest, where on September 26th, they covered themselves with glory. They were excellent soldiers with a large number of Negro officers, principally men who had been promoted from the ranks of non-commissioned officers in the regular army. Their commander during the last six weeks of the war, the time when they saw most of their hard service, was Lieutenant Colonel T.A. Rodwell, a regular army officer. He went abroad as commander of a machine gun battalion in the 80th Division, later was transferred to the 367th Infantry and finally to the 368th. Many of the officers of the latter organization had served under Colonel Rodwell as non-commissioned officers of the regular army. He paid them a high tribute in stating that they proved themselves excellent disciplinarians and leaders. He was also very proud of the enlisted men of the regiment. The Negroes proved themselves especially good soldiers during gas attacks, said Colonel Rothwell, which were numerous and of a very treacherous nature. During the wet weather the gas would remain close to the ground and settle, where it was comparatively harmless, but with the breaking out of the sun it would rise in clouds suddenly and play havoc with the troops, green troops as they were. It is related that there was a little confusion on the occasion of their first battle. When the regiment encountered barbed wire entanglements for the first time at a place in the woods where the Germans had brought their crack gunners to keep the line, but there was no cowardice and the confusion soon subsided, they quickly got used to the wire, cut their way through and cleaned out the gunners in record time. Every one of the enemy picked up in that section of the woods was wearing an iron cross, the equivalent of the French Croix de Guerre or the American Distinguished Service Cross. It showed that they belonged to the flower of the Kaiser's forces but they were no match for the Black Devils, a favorite name of the Germans for all Negro troops, and applied by them with particular emphasis to these troops and others of the 92nd Division. On October 10th, the regiment went to Metz and took part in all the operations leading up to that campaign and the close of the war. In the Argonne, before Metz and elsewhere, they were subjected constantly to gas warfare. They behaved remarkably well under those attacks. Major Benjamin P. Morris who commanded the 3rd Battalion, has stated that in the drive which started September 26, he lost nearly 25% of his men through wounding or gassing. The battalion won eight distinguished service crosses in that attack and the Major was recommended for one of the coveted decorations. The regiment lost 44 men killed in action, 13 died from wounds and 8 were missing in action. The list of wounded and gassed ran over 300. Individual exploits were quite numerous and were valiant in the extreme. Here is an instance, it became necessary to send a runner with a message to the left flank of the American firing line. The way was across an open field offering no covering or protection of any kind, and swept by heavy enemy machine gun fire. Volunteers were called for. A volunteer under such circumstances must be absolutely fearless. The slightest streak of timidity or cowardice would keep a man from offering his services. Private Edward Saunders of Company I responded for the duty. Before he had gone far a shell cut him down. As he fell he cried to his comrades, Someone come and get this message. I am wounded. Lieutenant Robert L. Campbell, a Negro officer of the same company sprang to the rescue. He dashed across the shell-swept space, picked up the wounded private, and, with the Germans fairly highlying bullets around him, carried his man back to the lines. There was the case of an officer who considered it more important to save the life of a heroic, valuable soldier than to speed a message. Besides the wounded man could proceed no farther and there were other ways of getting the message through and it was sent. Illustration, Wounded Negro Soldiers Convalescing in Base Hospital. In the picture are two colored women ambulance drivers, 
Illustration, sample of identity card carried by soldiers of the American Expeditionary Forces. Each identification was printed in English and French and included a photograph of the owner. The number on the card corresponding with a metal tag on the man's arm. Illustration, Negro officers of 366th Infantry who achieved distinction in France. Left to right. L-I-U-D-C-L Abbott. C-A-P-D. Joes. L-O. L-I-U-D. A-R Fisher. C-A-P-D. E-White. Illustration, Distinguished Officers of the 6th Illinois 370th Infantry. First row. Left to right. C-A-P-D. D.J. Warner. A.H. Jones. L-I-U-D. E.G. White. L-I-U-D. J.D.R.A.I.N.E. L.I.U.D. Bernard McGuinn. Second row L.I.U.D. Lou for J.H.A.R.R.I.S. L.I.U.D. Alvin M. Jordan. L.I.U.D. E.L.G.O.D.L.E.D. L.I.U.D. J.T. Baker. Third row. L.I.U.D. F.J. Johnson. L.I.U.D. Jerome L. Hubert. Illustration. Distinguished officers of 8th Illinois 370th Infantry. Left to right. L.I.U.D. Lawson Price. L.I.U.D. Boy Browning, L.I.U.D., W.S.E.A.R. Riley's, C.A.P.D., Lewis E. Johnson, L.I.U.D., Edmund G. White, L.I.U.D., F.W. Bates, L.I.U.D., E.F.E. Williams, L.I.U.D., B.I.N.G.A.D.I.S.M.O.N.D., Illustration, Colonel Charles Young, Ranking Negro Officer of the Regular Army, one of three who have been commissioned from the United States Military Academy at West Point. A veteran officer of the Spanish-American War and Western Campaigns. Detailed to active service. Camp Grant, Rockford, Illinois. During the World War. Illustration, two noted partisans of the Allies in the Great World War, Mrs. J.H.H.S.E.N.G.S.D.A.C.K. And her famous son, R.O.B.R.D.S.E.N.G.S.D.A.C.K. Abbott, editor and publisher of the Chicago Defender. It was Mrs. S.E.N.G.S.D.A.C.K. who... When the Defender had reached the 100,000 mark of its circulation, started the press that ran off the edition, flaming with cheer and inspiration for our boys in the trenches over there. Illustration, reunited and happy. L.I.U.D. Colonel Otis B. Duncan of 8th Illinois 370th Infantry, who came out of the war the ranking Negro in the American Expeditionary Forces, his father and mother. Illustration, Miss Vivian Harsh, member Chicago chapter of Canteen Workers. Passing out smokes to a return soldiers of 8th Illinois 370th Infantry. Illustration, officers of 8th Illinois 370th Infantry. Decorated by French for gallantry in action. Left to right. L.I.U.D. Thomas A. Painter. C.A.P.D. Stuart Alexander. L.I.U.D. Frank Robinson. For the valor shown both were cited for the Distinguished Service Cross. Lieutenant Campbell's superiors also took the view that in that particular instance the life of a brave soldier was of more importance than the dispatch of a message, for as a result, he was recommended for a captainty. Another single detail taken from the same company I, John Baker, having volunteered, was taking a message through heavy shell fire to another part of the line. A shell struck his hand, tearing away part of it, but the Negro unfalteringly went through with the message. He was asked why he did not seek aid for his wounds before completing the journey. His reply was, I thought that the message might contain information that would save lives. Has anything more heroic and unselfish than that ever been recorded? Nature may have, in the opinions of some, been unkind to that man when she gave him a dark skin, but he bore within it a soul, than which there are none whiter, reflecting the spirit of his creator, that should prove a beacon light to all men on earth.
and which will shine forever as a gem of purest ray serene in the unmeasurable and great beyond. Under the same loot, Robert Campbell, a few colored soldiers armed only with their rifles, trench knives, and hand grenades, picked up from shell holes along the way, were moving over a road in the Chateau 3 sector. Suddenly their course was crossed by the firing of a German machine gun. They tried to locate it by the sound and direction of the bullets, but could not. To their right a little ahead, lay a space covered with thick underbrush, just back of it was an open field. Lieutenant Campbell who knew by the direction of the bullets that his party had not been seen by the Germans, ordered one of his men with a rope which they happened to have, to crawl to the thick underbrush and tie the rope to several stems of the brush, then to withdraw as fast as possible and pull the rope making the brush shake as though men were crawling through it. The purpose was to draw direct fire from the machine gun, and by watching, locate its position, the ruse worked. Lieutenant Campbell then ordered three of his men to steal out and flank the machine gun on one side, while he and two others moved up and flanked it on the other side. The brush was shaken more violently by the concealed rope. The Germans, their eyes focused on the brush, poured a hail of bullets into it. Lieutenant Campbell gave the signal and the flanking party dashed up, with their hand grenades they killed four of the Boches and captured the remaining three also the machine gun. There was an officer who could think and plan in an emergency and evolved strategy like a Napoleon. First Lieutenant Edward Jones, of the Medical Corps of the Regiment, was cited for heroism at Binarville. On September 27 Lieutenant Jones went into an open area subjected to direct machine gun fire to care for a wounded soldier who was being carried by another officer. While dressing the wounded man, a machine gun bullet passed between his arms and body and a man was killed within a few yards of him, in a general order issued by the commander of the division. General Martin, 2nd Lieutenant Nathan O. Goodlow, one of the Negro officers of the Regimental Machine Gun Company, was commended for excellent work and meritorious conduct. During the operations in the Argonne Forest, Lieutenant Goodlow was attached to the 3rd Battalion. In the course of action it became necessary to reorganize the battalion and withdraw part of it to a secondary position. He carried out the movement under a continual machine gun fire from the enemy. General Martin said, Lieutenant Goodlow's calm courage set an example that inspired confidence in his men. General Martin also cited for meritorious conduct near Viano Chateau. Tom Brown, a wagoner, who as driver of an ammunition wagon, displayed remarkable courage, coolness and devotion to duty under fire. Brown's horses had been hurled into a ditch by shells and he was injured. In spite of his painful wounds he worked until he had extricated his horses from the ditch refusing to quit until he had completed the work even though covered with blood from his hurts. Private Joseph James of the 368th received the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism in Action. September 27th, in the Argonne Forest, a regiment of the 92nd Division which gained distinction, received its share of decorations and was mentioned several times in general orders from the high officers, was the 367th Infantry, Moss's Buffaloes, this title was attached to them while they were undergoing training at Yafank, and why under Colonel James A. Moss of the regular army, it stuck to the outfit all through the war and became a proud title, a synonym of courage and fighting strength. The 367th went to France in June 1918 and spent two months training back of the lines. It was sent to supporting trenches August 20th and finally to the front line at St. By, near Lorraine border. It remained there until September 21st and was then transferred to the St. Mihiel salient where Pershing delivered his famous blow, the one that is said to have broken the German heart. 
it was at any rate, a blow that demonstrated the effectiveness of the American fighting forces. In a few days the overseas commander of the Yankee troops conquered a salient which the enemy had held for three years and which was one of the most menacing positions of the entire line. On October 9th, the regiment was sent to the left bank of the Moselle, where it remained until the signing of the armistice. Colonel Moss was taken from combatant duty early in October to become an instructor at the training school at Gondry Court. The regiment passing under the command of Colonel W.J. Doan, composed of selectives mostly from the state of New York, the regiment was trained with a view to developing good assault and shock troops, which they were. Casualties of all descriptions in the 367th amounted to about 10% of the regimental strength. A number of decorations for personal bravery were bestowed and the regiment as a whole was cited and praised by General Pershing in his review of the 92nd Division at Almans. The entire 1st Battalion of the 367th, was cited for bravery and awarded the Croix de Guerre by the French. The citation was made by the French Commission because of the splendid service and bravery shown by the regiment in the last engagement of the war. Sunday and Monday, November 10th and 11th in the drive to Metz. The men went into action through the bloody valley commanded by the heavy guns of Metz, and held the Germans at bay until the 56th Regiment could retreat, but not until it had suffered a heavy loss. The 1st Battalion was commanded by Major Charles L. Appleton of New York, with company commanders and lieutenants, Negroes. Another distinguished component of the 92nd Division was the 365th Infantry made up of selectives principally from Chicago and other parts of Illinois. This regiment saw about the same service as the 367th, perhaps a little more severe, as the casualties were greater. In the action at Boys Free Hot in the drive on Metz, the 365th lost 43 men killed in action and dead from wounds. In addition there were 32 missing in action, most of whom were killed or succumbed to wounds. About 200 were wounded or gassed. In general orders, issued by the commander of the division, a number of Negro officers, Non-commissioned officers and privates of the 365th were commended for meritorious conduct in the actions of November 10th and 11th. Those named were, Captain John H. Allen, First Lieutenant Sleon F. Stewart, Frank L. Dry, Walter Leon, David W. Harris, and Benjamin F. Ford, Second Lieutenants George L. Games and Russell C. Atkins, Sergeants Richard W. White John Simpson, Robert Townsend, Solomon D. Colson, Ransom Elliott and Charles Jackson, Corporals Thomas B. Coleman, Albert Taylor, Charles Reed and James Conley, and Privates Earl Swanson, Jesse Cole, James Hill, Charles White and George Cheney, Captain Allen of the Machine Gun Company of the 365th, died in France of pneumonia. Only a short time before his death he had been awarded the Distinguished Service Cross by General Pershing, for exceptional gallantry before Metz, Private Robert M. Breckenridge of Company B. 365th Regiment also gave his life in France, but had received the Distinguished Service Cross for Extraordinary Heroism in Action at Firm de Belwyr, October 29, 1918. Corporal Russell Pollard of Company H received his Distinguished Service Cross shortly before his return home. He was cited for Extraordinary Heroism in Action in the first day's battle at Metz. The remaining infantry regiment of the division not heretofore specially mentioned, was the 366th. A highly efficient organization of selectives assembled from the mobilization and training camps of various sections of the country, like the other regiments of the division. The greater number of these men were assembled in the autumn of 1917. 
trained continuously in this country until the early part of the summer of 1918, sent to France and given at least two months intensive training there. During the training periods their instructors were mostly officers from the regular army or the military instruction schools of this country and France. Some English officers also assisted in the training. That they possessed the requisite intelligence for absorbing the instruction they received is evidenced by the high type of soldier into which they developed, their records in battle, and the unstinted praise which they received from their superior officers, the French commanders and others who witnessed or were familiar with their service. The 366th went through the campaign in the Marbosch sector and suffered all its rigors and perils. In the final two days of fighting they were right at the front and achieved distinction to the extent that in the review at Almans they also were singled out by General Pershing for special commendation. During the campaign the regiment had a loss of 43 men killed in action or died of wounds. Seven men were missing in action. The wounded and gassed were upwards of 200. In general orders issued by the commander of the division, First Lieutenant John Q. Lindsay was cited for bravery displayed at Lassau. Sergeant Isaac Hill for bravery displayed at Firpillo and Sergeant Walter L. Gross for distinguished service near Hominville. These men were all colored and all of the 366th Regiment. Wherever men were cited in general orders or otherwise, it generally followed that they received the distinguished service cross or some other coveted honor. Chapter XXII Glory That Won't Come Off 167th First Negro Artillery Brigade, like veterans, said Pershing First Artillery to be motorized record by dates selected for Lorraine campaign Best educated Negroes in American forces always stood by their guns Chaplain's estimate left splendid impression testimony of French mayor's Christian behavior, soldierly qualities. To the 92nd Division belonged the distinction of having the First Artillery Brigade composed entirely of Negroes with the exception of a few commissioned officers, ever organized in this country. In fact, the regiments composing the brigade, the 349th, the 350th and 351st were the first complete artillery regiments of Negroes and the only important Negro organizations in the artillery branch of the service, ever formed in this country. Their record was remarkable considering the brief time in which they had to distinguish themselves, and had the war continued. They would surely have gained added glory, General Pershing in the review at Almans complimenting them particularly, stating that when the armistice came he was planning important work for them. Following are the General's words which brought much pride to the organization, permit me to extend to the officers and men of the 167th Field Artillery Brigade, especially the 351st Regiment. My congratulations for the excellent manner in which they conducted themselves during the 12 days they were on the front. The work of the unit was so meritorious that after the accomplishments of the brigade were brought to my attention I was preparing to assign the unit to very important work in the second offensive. You men acted like veterans, never failing to reach your objective. Once orders had been given you, I wish to thank you for your work. The unit was organized largely from men of western Pennsylvania, the District of Columbia, Maryland and Virginia, Camp Meade, near Washington. D.C. was their principal training point from the fall of 1917 until June, 1918, when they went abroad. To the brigade belongs the additional distinction of being the first in the service to be motorized. Tractors hauled the big guns along the front at a rate of 12 miles an hour, much better than could have been done with horses or mules. Brigadier General W.E. Cole commanded the unit until about the middle of September, 1918 when he was elevated to a major generalship and the command of the 167th Passade to Brigadier General John H. Sherburne, 
in a general order issued by the latter shortly before he left the unit, he said, I will ever cherish the words of the commander-in-chief, the compliment he paid, in all sincerity to this brigade, when he watched it pass in review. I wish the brigade to understand that those words of appreciation were evoked only because each man had worked conscientiously and unflaggingly to make the organization a success. The men went into the line in a manner to win the praise of all. The history of the brigade from the time it left Camp Meade until the end of the war may be summarized as follows. June 27th disembarked from ship at Brest, France. July 2nd started for the training area, reaching there July 4th. July 5th began a period of six weeks training at Lathus in the Montmorillon section. August 20th went to a low quarantine and remained until September 16th, practicing at target range. Its gun squads excelled in target work and the brigade, especially the 351st Regiment. One distinction there. October 4th finished training at low quarantine and moved into a sector directly in front of Metz where about three weeks were spent in obtaining the tractors and motor vehicles necessary for a completely motorized artillery outfit. October 25th preparing for action. The enemy had noted the great movement of troops in the vicinity and German planes constantly hovered over the unit dropping missiles of death upon it. The brigade supported the infantry of the division in its attacks on Epley, Camino, Buxiers, Boys Freehut, Boys Locote, Champy, Vandiers, Ugni and Mulan Farm. Attacks of more than mediocre importance were, Ugni, November 4th and 5th, Camino, November 6th, E-Play, November 7th, Boys Free Hut, November 10th, Boys Locote and Champy, November 11th. In addition to those attacks certain machine gun nests of the enemy were destroyed and strategic points were bombarded. During the entire advance the batteries of the brigade were in front positions and very active. The attack on Boys Locote and Champy began at 4.30 in the morning and ended just 15 minutes before the beginning of the armistice. During the engagement the batteries kept up such a constant fire that the guns were almost white with heat. Private Carly Southall of 2538 Elba Street, Pittsburgh, Pond, claims to have fired the brigade's last shot. He was a member of Battery D 351st Regiment. When the watch showed the last minute of the war, he jumped forward got to the gun ahead of his comrades and fired. Had the war continued the artillery brigade would have taken part in the offensive which was to have begun after November 11th with 20 French and 6 American divisions investing Metz and pushing east through Lorraine. The history of one regiment in the artillery outfit is practically the same as another, with the exception that the 351st seems to have had the most conspicuous service. This unit of the brigade was commanded by Colonel Wade H. Carpenter, a West Pointer. Owing to the technical requirements, a thorough knowledge of mathematics especially Bay.